And I invite you to turn with me this afternoon for a reflection, Psalm 125, Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Psalm 120 verses 1 to 34 fall under that category of psalms known as the songs of ascent or songs of degrees, songs of ascent, so-called, presumably because they were sung as the Israelites went on pilgrimage as they ascended different levels of terrain headed toward Jerusalem. Or songs of degrees, so-called, because as the worshippers made their way up to Jerusalem, they were possibly echoing by increasing degrees the praises of the Lord. So songs of ascent, reflective of the fact that they were ascending, making their way in pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And songs of degrees suggesting the rising intensity, the rising level of their praises to God. The author of this Psalm 125 is anonymous. We don't know for sure who wrote it. Some scholars ascribe its authorship to Hezekiah, and it's believed that these 15 Psalms were selected by Hezekiah in commemoration of, of the Lord's goodness to him in adding 15 more years to his life. Psalm 125 concerns the security of the righteous, and from this Psalm, we derive at least five thoughts related to their being securely protected. And we want to look through these this afternoon. First of all, we find in this psalm that the security of the righteous is related to the posture in which they stand. The security of the righteous is related to the posture in which they stand. According to verse 1, the posture in which they stand is one of trust in the Lord. And that word that is translated in verse 1 as trust, that verb trust, in the Hebrew is a present participle which carries the idea of ongoing, continual trust in the Lord. So that a literal reading of this opening clause of Psalm 125 would go as follows. The ones who are trusting in the Lord. The ones who are trusting in the Lord. And implied here is that for the Lord's people, trust in him is not a seasonal, occasional fear. It's not that they trust in the Lord in times of crisis. It's not that they trust in the Lord on certain occasions. Presumably as they were making their way to pilgrimage, they would then be trusting in the Lord. Rather, their trust in the Lord is a continual, ongoing affair. Their trust in the Lord is not a last resort in times of crisis. Rather, it is a habitual, continual way of life. Now, the thing to note here is that in terms of their posture, that is, the posture of the righteous, the psalmist does not speak of them as merely believing 
in the Lord. See, there's a big difference between believing in the Lord and trusting in the Lord. We are told in the epistle of James, James says that even the devils believe and tremble. You see, many will readily lay claim to believing in God. In fact, as we said, we see that in James chapter 2, verse 19, James says, even the demons believe the truth as to who God is, and they shudder. But in speaking particularly of those who trust in the Lord, the psalmist here is highlighting the fact that they rely on or confide in the Lord. And that their posture is a continual posture of resting and reposing in the Lord. That word trust carries the idea of throwing oneself upon something or someone and by extension means to have confidence in or to commit oneself to, which is suggestive, of course, of far more than mere belief in God. Indeed, this posture of trust in the Lord on the part of the righteous hints at their realization, at their understanding that their security, their stability resides not in their strength, not in their ability, not in their resources, but in the strength and might and power of God. And that is why we read, for example, in Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The posture of the righteous, as represented in the psalm, is one of trust in the Lord, is one of confidence in the Lord, is one of reposing and resting in the Lord. But secondly, we notice the permanence with which they are secured. The permanence with which they are secured. Because again, verse 1, the psalmist says there, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. The permanence with which they are secured. In scripture, Mount Zion is a well-reputed stronghold. We discover that in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7, where it is, it is characterized as such, it is characterized as a stronghold. The Jebusites used to reside in this region, and historically, as we know, it was a well-fortified city which later became what we know as Mount Zion. In Psalm 48, verse 1, it is described as the city of our God. Psalm 48, verse 2, speaks of it as being beautiful in elevation, and verse 3 of Psalm 48 calls attention to its citadels, to its fortresses. Mountains conjure the idea of fortification and strength, so that here in verse 1, Mount Zion, we could say, is symbolic of a well-fortified, formidable, impenetrable, impregnable fortress. Now the psalmist here likens the people who are trusting in God to Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. In other words, what the psalmist is saying there is that those who are trusting in the Lord, those who are resting in the Lord, are fixed. They are marked by stability. Nothing can move them. They cannot be swayed. They cannot be made to stagger. They cannot be made to totter. They cannot be made to shake or slip, as the Hebrew word suggests. The word moved connotes solidity, it connotes stability, it connotes fixedness. The psalmist is affirming then that the ones who are trusting in the Lord, who are relying on him, who are confiding continually in him as the object of their faith 
and confidence are immovably and unshakably secure. Now, this is suggesting then that no storm, there's absolutely no storm, no crisis that can undermine and erode their stability. No crisis situation that can effectively shake and unsettle them from their firm foothold in the Lord. He could say this, that he's suggesting that not even Satan and his cohorts can overcome them because they are firmly established and fixed and a solid, enduring foundation. As such, their standing is not just for time, their standing is for all eternity. Because notice at the end of verse 1, he says, the word of God promises, they shall abide forever. Now, as far as the wider context of Scripture is concerned, we have very much the same idea taught in Matthew chapter 16, verse 8. You remember where our Lord Jesus concerning his church, he says, I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this rock, of course, was not the Apostle Peter, as some claim. He was referring rather to the rock of Peter's confession. And what was that confession? You are the son of the living God. That confession in which the church is founded, Jesus is saying, not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. The word of God is saying here that you and I, in this world, with all its crises, with all that concerns us, we are safe, we are secured in trusting in him. The abiding eternal security of believers in Christ consists, we could say, in their being rooted and their being grounded in him, the one who himself is immovable and invincible. That is why Jesus could say it in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, regarding his redeemed people. He could say this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me, I give to them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Commenting on the permanence with which the righteous are secured, see it's Spurgeon puts it like this, he says this quote, Zion cannot be removed and does not remove. So the people of God can neither be moved passively nor actively by force from without or fickleness from within. Faith in God is a settling and establishing virtue. He who by strength setteth fast the mountains by that same power stays the hearts of them that trust in him. And then he continues, this steadfastness will endure forever. And we may be assured, therefore, that no believer will perish either in life or in death, in time or in eternity. We trust in an eternal God and our safety shall be eternal, end quote. The security of the righteous then is set forth, first of all, in terms of the posture in which they stand. What is that posture? It is one of constant abiding trust in God. It is seen in the permanence with which they are secured. And then thirdly, the security of the righteous is rooted, verse 2, in the presence by which they are surrounded. The presence by which they are surrounded. Here's what the psalmist says. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. In the ancient world, as we know, cities were most vulnerable to attack and invasion by foreign invading forces. 
That's why, for example, when we read the account of Joshua, we see the walls were well fortified. And we are told that in ancient times, walls could be how many feet thick. In fact, sometimes two or three chariots could be driven. You could have three lanes of chariots on those walls. They were very wide and they were used for the defense of the city. One such defense sometimes took the form of mountains. One such defense of a city took the form of mountains. In this case, Mount Zion was very mountainous. In the land of Israel, Mount Zion provided such coveted defense, defensive fortress. It is said that these mountains, these hills surrounding Zion, protected the city from storms. Oftentimes, severe winds and storms were checked by these mountains ever before they could overtake the city. That's what the psalmist is using here to speak of the Lord's surrounding presence. And then with specific reference to warfare, Mount Zion served as a formidable fortress which fortified the city from attack. That's why the Jebusites had such confidence in it. That's why it was described as a stronghold. And we know, of course, David invaded that area and he overcame the Jebusites and he took that fortress. Now, here is the wonderful truth. Zion, or Jebus of old, may have been conquered by David or by any invading force for that matter. But here is the truth. We can never be overrun. We can never be overcome. Why? Because we are surrounded by the living, almighty God himself. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? We can never be shaken. We can never be removed because of the Lord's surrounding protective presence. The Lord surrounds them, the psalmist says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem. By virtue of his surrounding presence, they are preserved, protected from stumbling and falling. Time and again we find in scripture the comforting, assuring truth of the surrounding presence of God in the lives of his people. Here, for example, Psalm 32, verse 7, you are a hiding place for me, the psalmist says. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Psalm 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. You recall when Jacob was running from his brother, was fearful of his brother, Jacob had this vision, and in the Bible tells us in Genesis 32, 1 and 2, Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him, and when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp, so he called the name of that place Mahanaim. He was surrounded with the presence of God in these angels. In 2 Kings 6, 14 through 17, tells of how the king of Syria, in his attempt to capture the prophet Elijah in Dothan, the word of God says this, sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master. This servant became fearful. He said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he, that is the prophet, said to his servant, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
Then Elisha opened, Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and here it comes, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha, the protective presence of God. The lesson then for you and me is this, that by virtue of the ever-abiding presence of God, the securing presence of God in our lives, we too are ever secure. We are secured, he says, just as the mountains surround Jerusalem. We are surrounded by the protective presence of God. The security of the righteous is rooted in the posture in which they stand. The security of the righteous is reflected in the permanence with which they are secured. The security of the righteous is rooted in the presence with which they are surrounded. And then fourthly, the security of the righteous, verse 3, rests in the providence by which they are shielded. The security of the righteous rests in the providence by which they are shielded. Listen to verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. The scepter, of course, is a symbol of what? Dominion, governmental power. And according to the word of God here, in Psalm 125 verse 3, wicked, ungodly leaders, wicked, ungodly rulers can harass and torment the people of God. They can persecute them, they can harass them even to the point of killing them, and yet the word of God teaches they can undo that insofar as God allows. I'm suggested here is a comforting promise that in his providence the Lord will see to it that his people are not given more than they can bear when it comes to the oppressive hands of the wicked. You see, he knows full well how much you and I can take. He knows full well that given the right amount of pressure, we will crack, we will crumble. He knows that given the right pressure, you and I will cave and we will, apart from his grace, even did as Peter did, deny him, fall away. But of course, we know the true believer in Christ can never fall away. Why? Because the word of God teaches the Lord upholds him in his ways. And the point of this verse, beloved, is this. The truth, it is the truth that God will not allow the Christian to go through more than he or she can bear. The devil and the ungodly cannot hurt us unless, unless allowed by the Lord and that for ultimate good. So what it says here, one may be reminded here of Paul's assurance to Christians that God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make the way of escape so that you might be able to bear it. So long as God surrounds his people, this writer continues, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, their preservation is assured. Now, the thing to note as we read this psalm, because persons could read this psalm and think that somehow this psalm applies indiscriminately to every single person. Every single person cannot legitimately lay claim to the Lord's protective presence, to God's preservation in their lives. Notice this promise of security in the law is particularly, it is particularly reserved for those who are characterized as good and upright in their hearts. Look at verse 4. He says there in verse 4, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, 
and to those who are upright in their hearts. We know, of course, the word of God teaches there's no one that does good, not even one, so that any goodness we have derives from the righteousness of Christ. But notice in the second part of that verse that goodness is defined in terms of the state of one's heart. You see, one can be, quote-unquote, good externally, and that is worthless in the eyes of God because all our righteousnesses, all our goodnesses are as filthy rags in his sight, and not until God has done a work of regeneration in our hearts, transforming our hearts, that we can, in a very real sense, be deemed good. A goodness not of our own, but of his grace. And then, of course, the warning in verse 5, we see concerning the righteous, we see the peril to which they are susceptible. The peril to which they are susceptible. Verse 5, but those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. The warning here, beloved, is a warning against the danger of apostasy, the danger of spiritual drifting. Such warning is never redundant, is never irrelevant for you and me. Yes, we are eternally secured in Christ. Yes, having been saved, we will never be plucked out of his hand. Why? Because the Lord keeps us. He's able to keep us from falling, to present us faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. But here's the point. The word of God also warns against apostasy. Read the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was addressed to professing believers in Christ. And the writer constantly warns about this danger of drifting spirit. And what that means is this, that even though you and I are assured of our salvation, even though we know of our security in Christ, that knowledge, that assurance is never grounds for complacency, is never grounds for taking it easy, is never grounds for being careless. Beloved, just because we also need to realize this, just because we are well-intentioned, just because we are well-disciplined in our Christian lives, just because we are resolved to take our stand for Christ, does not necessarily mean that that in and of itself will prove our standing in the end. We ought to be trusting in Christ. We ought to be trusting in him and him alone. We ought to be looking away from ourselves. And we are warned here, we are reminded here, that our security in no way exempts us from the peril, the danger of deviating from the Lord, what the psalmist described as turning aside to our crooked ways. Why is that so? Because, you see, not only are we beset within by the pull of the flesh, but we are bombarded by the pressures of the world, the pressures of the devil. There's a pressure of the world in terms of its sinful allurements. There's a pressure of the devil with his relentless assaults and seductions and temptations. All of which create a real struggle and challenge for us to make what the writer to the Hebrews refers as straight paths for feet, Hebrews 12 and verse 13. You must ever remember that, beloved, as we walk this world, as we traverse this world. Even though secured in the Lord, we are beset on every hand constantly with enemies. Forces that beckon us to veer from the path of righteousness, from the path of following the Lord in full, wholehearted commitment. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, Paul, in pointing out to the Corinthian Christians, how that notwithstanding their spiritual privileges, ancient Israel fell 
into idolatry. They fell into sexual immorality, thus coming under the judgment of God. And so Paul warns the Corinthian Christians, he warns them, therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That is why the word of God in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We always have to remind ourselves of the allure of the world to get us to veer from God's path. The thrust of all that we are saying then is this, that as believers in Christ, however secure in the Lord we think we might be, and we certainly are, we are never beyond the possibility of backsliding, of drifting away. And then finally, the prayer by which they are sustained, the prayer by which the righteous is sustained, It's found in verse 5. It preaches for itself. Here's what he says. Peace be upon Israel. Peace be upon Israel. The word shalom speaks of all that is desirable, all that is wholesome, all that is healthy, all that makes us what God would have us to be. It speaks of wholeness. And what the Sabbath is suggesting here, that unless the blessing of God be upon us, unless the shalom of God be upon us, And where is the shalom of God centered? It is centered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless his blessing be upon us, unless we are empowered by his grace, unless we are enabled by his spirit, all that we do in the name of living for God will be futile. Yes, we ought to be determined. Yes, we ought to take comfort in the fact that we are protected, we are surrounded. But we never need to be dependent on him in prayer. Trust as we ponder the truths of these verses, particularly these days in which we live, days of crises, I would say, days of uncertainty, we would rest in the assurance of God's faithful, abiding, pervasive presence in our lives. May we find in it strength, may we find in it assurance to walk these days of uncertainty. For Christ's sake, amen.